0: Galatians chapter 3, 1 to 14. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them
1: Thank you, Shirley, so well read. As we turn to the Word of God, let's um, seek the Father, that it would be accompanied by the Spirit of God. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your Word, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and open our ears so that those words that uh, have been spoken, that you want to convey to us this morning would be heard by us. And Lord, we pray that we would not be hearers of the word only, but those who act upon it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder what's the most extravagant gift you have ever received. At the joy of uh, enjoying a little celebration yesterday, I was tempted to turn one of the numbers upside down and make it a celebration not of a 60th but of a 90th i don't know that that would have been uh, appreciated but what's the most extravagant gift you have ever received my parents along with some others once put on a celebration for me uh, we hired a, a big hall in dural we invited all of my friends as well as so many relatives we uh, even hired caterers so that uh, no one would have to slave in the kitchen, and no one would miss out. And uh, well, I think it's the only time uh, for a party that I've done this, but we hired cars so that the special guests would turn up in Rolls Royces. Um, and after that, book some accommodation uh, so that a couple of the people who attended that party uh, could go and enjoy a little holiday together afterwards. Was it a birthday party? No, it was my wedding day. The most extravagant gift I received on that day is here with us this morning. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: it's a gift that keeps on giving uh, i I thought for a moment well what's what's the best best birthday I've ever had, and, and you know what's the best gift i've I've received in those things and then just thought, well, actually, you know I, I can't go past the gift that I received on that day, and I would like to tell recite for you my my wedding vows but I got them wrong even as i tried to do it on the day Um, but i know contained within them that within my vows i thanked god for this most precious gift that i had received in alice and my wife today we're celebrating what an extravagant gift we have received from god so that we might not forget first and foremost that it is a gift but in celebrating this gift, I think we also need to celebrate the giver of the gift and the gift itself. And the gift that Paul is pointing his readers to is the gift of the Spirit. It's not anything they have earned or have, or have deserved, but as they have accepted salvation through Jesus' death and his shed blood, now they are recipients of the gift of the Spirit. And just like my wife it's a gift that keeps on giving oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you it was before your very eyes that jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified uh, a few commentators have enjoyed referring to jb phillips translation of the scriptures has anyone got it here this morning verse 3 uh, chapter 3 in in his translation says my dear or something to that effect oh no he says oh you dear idiots of galatia Uh, but you know (laughs) you dear idiots um the word i mean in, in my bible in many bibles it's you foolish galatians you you fools and and that's that's true to the the nature of the word uh that paul would have used uh you foolish ignorant people uh or if you're growing up in in my household uh, I think the, the term was something like, you silly duffer, uh, you know, how did you make such a mistake? Uh, how is it that you are now beginning to think the things that you're thinking? Who has, who has bewitched you, he says. In, in, the Greeks had this, this fear of, of the evil eye. Uh, if you look at the way that Paul writes his letter and, and how he wishes people to continue in the grace of God and those sorts of things, it's very similar to any other letter that was written in those days. And, and even, I guess, the, the non-religious letters would have references to things like, um, I, I hope that the evil eye does not look upon you. It was this fairly common fear among people. And, and Paul kind of refers to it here. Who has bewitched you? Uh, Who has cast this evil eye on you, that you've gone from from understanding the truth to beginning to to accept this new gospel that's being preached, or beginning to accept, as we've looked at in the last few weeks, the the burden of keeping the law? What have your eyes seen? Oh, sorry, the evil eye, just a a little aside, I I don't think it was in the the latest movie of J.R. Tolkien, but... Uh, he was a man of tremendous faith and if you're a fan of the Lord of the Rings and, and there's this, this eye of Saruman that you know, looks over all the land and if you can avoid its gaze, you're, you're okay. It's, that kind of imagery, I think, has, has been borrowed out of, of what the Greeks learnt and, and what Paul has described here. But he says, it's like you've been, you know, this evil eye has been cast upon you and, and now you're, you're going crazy ways. But I want to focus on what your eyes have seen. Because before your eyes, Jesus has been publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, he's not saying that you were the residents of Jerusalem who had the opportunity to to walk down that that public road and and saw Jesus' shame before the masses. But he's saying, this is the gospel that we preach to you, that Christ was crucified. And the word he uses is like he's placarded before you. A father who no longer wants to bear the sons of his debts would put up a sign that says, my son's an adult now. If he's doing silly things, it's his own fault. Don't come looking to me to pay his debts. I read about that and I think it's a bit like a for sale sign on on the front of a house. Once that sold sticker goes across it, it's clear that the residents who were there are no longer going to be living there, that the house has been sold but I think even a, a better illustration would be uh, receiving a letter in the mail that says, your debt has been paid. I have recently received a letter like that. Alison had a car loan that she was paying for years. And the legal letter that came in the mail, we opened and we didn't really understand it. It just said something about, you know, <laughs> compliance or, you know, the shifting of responsibility. And we read it a few times and then realised, oh, that's all it's saying is that we've... We've paid the last payment. The car no longer is under their ownership. It's, it's ours. Uh, it was lengthy and legal and all the rest, but really it was just saying your debt's been cancelled. And in a way, Paul's saying, now, if you were to receive such a letter as that and you were to keep paying the loan, what an idiot you'd be. Like, if, if the debt is paid, don't keep paying the debt. What Jesus has done on the cross is given everything for you. So don't look on Jesus on the cross and then think that there's still some measure of this debt to sin that you need to continue to pay. Because we came and we spoke to you about Jesus the carpenter. We came and spoke to you about Jesus the miracle worker. We came and spoke to you of Jesus of Nazareth uh, and and the popularity that he had among some and the persecution that he received from others. But but none of that was kind of the, the central thing that we wanted to impress upon you. The main thing we were telling you about was his death. His death for you. Now, I grew up seeing crosses in, in Protestant churches as blank crosses and crosses in Catholic churches as, you know... Uh, like crucifixes with jesus hanging on them and i asked my father one time you know why is it that some crosses have got jesus hanging there and others don't and uh and he said very helpfully that that it's it's nice to look at an empty cross because we know that jesus is no longer there his death was was a part of the work but but now he has been placed in the grave and and he has been raised to life again the the cross is empty And I think that's a beautiful explanation. But in a way, Paul is pointing the Galatians back to the picture of Jesus on the cross. (laughs) Never forget, it's not just the cross that we worship, but it's the man who hung on that cross that we worship. That is the gift. When Jesus was placated before you when he was betrayed before you as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith were you looking at jesus when the spirit was given to you or were you looking at yourselves did you discover the love of god by working to achieve it or did you Discover the love of God when it was impressed upon you that while you were enemies of his, Christ died for you. Well, we can look back and see exactly what happened in Acts chapter 13. You won't see the word Galatia, but um, these cities were in that region. Antioch and Pisidia, uh, later you'll see Tyre and Sidon, um, Acts thirteen 48. Um, I'll go from 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was being spoken by Paul, reviling him. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of God was spreading throughout the whole region. Paul and Barnabas were preaching Jesus, whom was crucified, preaching to the Jews and to the Gentiles. When the Jews rejected the message, the Gentiles received it. How does it say? When they heard, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. That's all it was, a word that they heard, and as many who were appointed, believed. Paul saying, you're no longer excited about what he's done, you're concerned about what you should be doing. But remember right at the very beginning, you heard the word and you believed it. And then you received it. So are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? If you were to go onto Webjet or visit your friendly travel agent and say, I want to go to Auckland, how do I get there? Your travel agent will say, we'll book you on some flights. You want to leave from Newcastle? That's, that's fine. You'll probably go through Brisbane on the way um, and you'll go, that sounds like a, a grand idea to me. So you book your flights, you jump on the plane in Newcastle, parking there's cheap and all the rest of it. You get to Brisbane and then you get off the plane and rather than get on the next plane with all the other passengers, you go... I'll see you there, I want to stretch my legs a bit, I'll just walk the rest of the way. The flight's begun, you're on board, you've paid your tickets, everything else is, is set. And somewhere along the way you go, it's been nice travelling with you. I'm going to continue that same direction that we set out with, but, but from now on I want to do it under my own steam. That's what Paul's saying. You've begun this work of faith Let's continue that work of faith. Let's not get on the plane and think by our own efforts we can make it from here. It's only a little walk across the ditch after all. You might have a better chance of doing that than the Wallabies would of beating the All Blacks at Eden Park. But <laughs> it's really an impossible endeavour, isn't it? Consider how you have begun. This is how God wants you to continue. Continue. I've lost Galatians. Let's get back to it. Verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing and faith? What is it that Paul reminds them of? Two aspects of the Christian journey. Miracles and suffering. And we see both of them uh, back in Acts 14, if you want to turn to it, verse 8. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth. He had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said to him in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Miracles done in Lystra in the region of Galatia by people who heard what Paul was saying and believed. And so through faith saw miracles performed among them imagine being that man taking his first steps of relationship with christ on feet that he had never walked on paul says you've seen these miracles performed in you by the spirit how were they performed by hearing and receiving by faith and suffering a little bit later in acts 14 verse 19 when the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of god is he saying there that it's by their works that they are to continue no but this walk of faith will be accompanied with many trials with great suffering for as christ suffered you will suffer As I, Paul, am suffering for this message, being stoned and dragged out of the city and left for dead, you are going to suffer. This also is a sign of the Spirit at work among you. Because the Spirit of God is opposed to the Spirit of the world. And so as you stand for Christ, there are going to be people who stand against you. Not because of anything you've done just by bearing his name you speak of Christ who has brought you to a, a place of righteousness and people are going to mock you you speak of wanting to do good works because Jesus has done good works people will mock you you speak to people in ways that say the foundations of your faith or your religion or your worldview are crumbling Because there is only one name by which people can be saved, and it's Jesus Christ. People are going to persecute you. Through suffering and through miracles, you have begun this walk with God through hearing and responding in faith. What does he say at the beginning of verse 5? But he who supplies the Spirit to you, working miracles among you has done so not by works of the law god who supplies the spirit now it's that word supplies there that reminded me of extravagant gifts like my wedding day because it's that word that gets used when 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 the, the the local play comes into town and mum and dad are putting one on at Halliday Shores this afternoon too if you want to come and see the Pirates of Benzance. Um, when, when the local pro- playwrights would come into the, the town and, and put on their performance, they would employ a chorus of singers. But playwrights, they were either poor or cheap, um, they would ask for the residents of the city to pay for the chorus. And a few of the rich local citizens would do that. Uh, they would become those who would sponsor the chorus. Uh, a similar word was used when, when the state needed to field an army in order to uh, defend the city. There would be people who would pay uh, money to the state in order to finance the standing army so that they could uh, act on their behalf. Similar word. Similar word when a husband commits to love and support his wife. He supplies Paul uses this word to talk about how God supplies the spirit to us. He wants to generously and extravagantly supply the the singing chorus who backs up the act on stage. He wants to pay for the army that that defends the city. He wants to give to the bride all that she deserves, a loving and faithful husband to give This is the sort of love that Paul sees that God has for us. An extravagant, abundant, generous love. And even in these illustrations, we can't begin to to grasp how great is God's love for us or how wonderful is this spirit whom he gives to us. He supplies the spirit to us. Not because of anything we've done but just because we've heard and received in faith. Just like Abraham, he says. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15 reminds us of that story. You've got to go right back to the very beginning to see that right from the very beginning, this has been God's plan. Beginning of 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give to me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, have you, give, um, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look to heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Paul's doing something very clever for his audience they've heard some people say look moses was a great man of you know of faith and and it was him who was given the law and he gave it to the people and and so we we we're, we're part of the people of god when we obey the law given to moses hey, paul says no let's let's go 430 years before moses let's go right back to the beginning of all this and look at abraham a man who was old and had no son who God, by his grace and generosity, said, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars. Your offspring will come from your own body. I'm going to do this for you. And Abram heard the word of God and believed it. Not a thing had changed for him. Except he'd seen something of the extent something of the beauty, something of the wonder and love of God for him. And he believed it. There's a song that I sang as a child and I've taught to other kids in my time. You probably know it too. Father, Abraham had many sons, many sons had father... You know, as a kid I I loved that song and I tried to work it out after, you know, as I was growing in my understanding of how the world works. How am I one of Abraham's sons? And I think I kind of determined that, well, if Adam and Eve were like, you know, the the first people and we're all from Adam and Eve, um, well then maybe like we're all... You know, from the family of Noah and from the family of Abraham. You know, I kind of gene- genealogically kind of tried to work out well, maybe everyone somehow traces their lineage back to Abraham, but it's not true. The Jews, you know, will seek to do that. But Paul's, he is not speaking to Jews, but he is speaking about their father, Abraham. Because they are children of God, like Abraham was a child of God. If, like Abraham, they hear the promise of God and by faith believe it. If you hear the word of God and by faith believe it, well then you are like a child of Abraham. And actually you are in a spiritual sense, because God becomes your father. But Abraham, in terms of Paul's argument, is a wonderful example. In terms of who we look at, is also a wonderful example. Because imagine having such a promise and just believing it. And knowing God's heart for you and his plan for your life is something far greater than you could ever accept. And Paul's point is, he received it. 430 years before the law was ever given, 14 years, I think, before he was ever circumcised, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, righteousness means being made right by God. Having your debt paid by God. Knowing that though I have sinned, A sinless man died for me. Though my life is destined to death, and that is the right judgment for my sin, God has made a way through death that I might enjoy eternal life with him. You might have guessed that I was watching the Wallabies play last night. Terrible defeat that it was. There was one glimmer of hope, though. It was in the crowds, and it wasn't someone wearing gold. It was someone holding up a placard that had simply these things on it. John 3, 7. If it said 16, we would have all known what it was. But John 3, 7 says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Great thing to hold up in the crowd, isn't it? Don't marvel that I've told you, you must be born again. Why? That's where it all begins. It's, we can't just live this life that we've been born in and think that there's something that we can do in order to merit the favour of God, that we'd be accepted by God. We need to be born again. We need something radical to change. Don't marvel, Jesus says. They're the words of Jesus that you must be born again. All of scripture points to this message. Romans 3, 22. It is Paul writing here, but let me reflect on it also. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. John will later write in his gospel. This is chapter 16 verse 7. we began our service with these words jesus spoke very much of the sin that we were under and our need to respond in faith to the righteousness that god offers but he promises that this is not just my message to preach while i'm here as i go the spirit will be given that you will be convicted of sin that you will understand the righteousness that god offers and that you will know that this is not the end. You're a part of something far greater. I was going to go on to the next few verses, but um, they're packed so full of other references to the Old Testament um, that I'll leave them for your uh, study through the week. Um, But let me just ask these: Are you seeking... The righteousness of god through the keeping of the ten commandments i had a conversation with someone through the week that went something along the lines of you know i know the ten commandments i know i don't have to you know that i shouldn't murder anyone and that sort of thing there's probably some other areas that you know i've uh you know sinned a little bit but um i don't think when when i get to the pearly gates that god's going to throw me out just for the sake of those I said, I don't know that that should be your confidence on the day of judgment. I think that when Jesus speaks of these commandments, he says that each one of us is guilty of breaking them. For a man who regards his brother with hate in his heart, he's guilty of the same sin as the murderer. The one who looks upon another with lust in his heart, guilty of the same sin as the adulterer. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can we rely on our tradition? But I've always been a church attender. I grew up in the church, or my great auntie Josephine, she was in the church. No. Can I say that my parents still continue faithfully in the church, and so therefore I'm probably going to be okay? No. No the picture that paul paints is that of christ crucified what an image and the hope that he speaks of this is of the spirit who has been generously given to us what a wonderful gift of love what a wonderful gift of grace wouldn't we be idiots i mean foolish to see such a gift and continue trying to walk the rest of the way. God has lifted us up on his wings of grace and he wants to carry us home. Let's close together in prayer. Father, I thank you that right through history you've been calling men and women, boys and girls, to put their faith and their confidence in you. Lord, we recognise that even this this, uh, acceptance of of faith is, is a gift. And so we want to thank you, Lord, for your generosity and your love to us. And Lord, we pray that we would not be those who seek to add more to it and so rob this wonderful message from others and even lose sight of it ourselves. But Lord, we want to be those who see what a wonderful gift it is to be able to walk on feet that have never walked, or to live a life that we've never known, or to have fellowship with the Spirit who reveals to us the righteousness of God. Use us as messengers of this gospel of grace this message of hope, this gift of love. Be glorified in our lives and through our actions, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.